Gematria. So the question is asked in the Talmud, in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, why is it that if Belshazzar was not able to read the words, Mine, Mine, Takal, Uparsin, presumably they were in Hebrew letters, um, that's why Daniel was able to read them, but Belshazzar should have had people in his palace that knew how to read Hebrew that would have been able to read the Hebrew letters. Why did he need Daniel to read the Hebrew letters? So Talmud says that clearly those words were not written as Daniel said them, were not written on the wall. Rather, they were written in code. Daniel deciphered the code to read Mine, Mine, Takal, Oparsin. What was the code? So Talmud offers a number of different possible explanations. Some say that the, words were, the letters were simply jumbled and nobody was able to scramble the letters. But Rav says, no, the original words actually read Yatas, Yatas, Adak, Pugmach. And which really uses a code system um, that we'll explain in a couple minutes um, called Atbash. And so essentially the words were written in code. Daniel knew the code. Because Daniel knew the code, he was able to easily, scra- to easily decipher the code and tell, and tell Bashatzar what the code was. But those words were written in code. This is the clearest example of code being used in our scripture. However, our sages say that codes are actually used extensively in our scripture to teach us many, many different things. And in fact, deciphering code of the Torah is called remez. Um, It's one of our sages say that there are four ways to study Torah. Torah can be studied one of four ways. Pshat would be the simple understanding of the Torah. Remes would be deciphering the code. Drash would be an expounded interpretation, which I'll discuss in a moment. And then there is Sod, which is the mystical interpretation. So Remes, reading the code of the Torah, is one of the basic four ways of understanding the Torah. So our sages say that, and our tradition is, that the Torah was never meant to be read at face value. In fact, if you take the written Torah as is, there are many parts of it that are simply cryptic. Some of it is, reads easy. Some of it is simply cryptic where the words don't make sense or the words are very unclear. It's not clear what the Torah is actually saying. There are words that don't appear to have any meaning. There are words that are out of place. Um, and so our tradition tells us that indeed the Torah was never meant to be written at face value. In fact, the way the Torah itself describes its own development is, and described, we described in last week's Torah reading, is that Moses went up to Mount Sinai where God taught him the Torah. Torah means instructions. God taught him a large amount of instructions and God continued to teach him over the 40 years in the desert. Moses then taught the people these instructions that God had taught him. These instructions were never were not written down at this point. They were taught by Moses to the people. We were told we had a whole system of how the Torah Moses taught the people to allow the large, the millions of people to all uh, that were in the desert at the time to all learn and be fluent in the Torah. So God explained that uh, Moses was able to explain it to everyone. And now everyone studied it themselves, but they studied it orally. We have a class um, planned um, a couple weeks forward about the development of our oral traditions, and we'll discuss this more then more in detail. Um, but for now, what happened was, Only later, at the end of Moses' life, did God tell Moses, before you die, I would like you to write down the Torah. 
and give it to the people. The Torah that Moses wrote down, though, was not the entire bulk of information that God taught him. The Torah that Moses wrote down was only a cryptic document that was written in code. And Moses then taught us the keys to that code and how to decipher that code through which we can find all the original information Moses taught us. Plus, when in doubt, when we need to um, when in doubt how to apply that information um, or when we have questions, we can use that code to also find the answers as well. And so the Torah was always um, written in code. Um, and its intention was not to read at face value or to only read at face value, but to also read it with the code and with the shorthand. Now, there are many different types of code most of which is not word codes, which is what we're focused on today, but simply shorthand. In other words, every word is shorthand to mean something much more than just one word. And so we have for halacha, the Torah itself is split into two different parts. There is halacha, which is the laws of the Torah, the rules of the Torah. And then there is agada. Agada is a um, generic term for all non-laws, which include um, which include inspirational lessons, um, life lessons, history, um, our relationship with God, um, uh, spirituality, are all included in the generic term agada, anything that is not law. So in halacha, to find the halacha, the laws, we have 13 keys that we use to decipher the Torah. They're called the Shlosh Esrei Midot, Shah Torah Nidreshet, the 13 keys. Each one is somewhat complicated, uh, but using those 13 keys, we're able to decipher the Torah. Now for the Agada, for the non-halachic part of the Torah, we have 32 keys that we can use to decipher the Torah. Most of those, all of those 13 keys that we mentioned, and most of the 32 are actually what we call drash. Earlier we mentioned drash is one of the ways of um, studying Torah. And drash is essentially shorthand. Most of the Torah is written in shorthand. Most words and even letters in the Torah are shorthand for something. And we need to know the shorthand in order to know its proper meaning. And so we have extensive books that decipher that, that explain to us the shorthand of the Torah. Many of them are often used by the Talmud as it explains the different laws um, of the Torah in order for us. So we are, we are able to decipher the Torah using those keys um, to uncover the shorthand. However, one of the 32 codes that are used in Agada is actually the code of gematria, deciphering the Torah using numbers. Now, the term gematria itself is not a biblical term. Although the, the technique of using, of using numbers to decipher the Torah, we believe, was already put in the Torah from the very beginning. In other words, when God dictated the Torah to Moses, it was with words written in a certain way to have certain meanings based on their number values. Um, the actual term that we use, like many terms in Hebrew, um, gematria came much later. It, um, it comes back to, from the Tanaic period in Israel, which is about the um, first two centuries, um, the, the, um, till about the year 200. 
and uh, it comes back from that period. Um, and but the, although the concept, as we said, is much much earlier, it's unclear where the term gematria comes from. We don't think it's originally a Hebrew term because it doesn't have a Hebrew sound to it. It's believed to be of Greek origin, although we don't have currently any Greek word that we know of or any classical Greek word. Um, that is similar, um, some think that maybe it comes from the Greek word grammar, which means the understanding of words, um, and the T was added in, the gematria was added in at a certain point. Um, some, think, some think that maybe it comes from the Greek word geometry. Um, again, the letters would have been moved around, which is more about area, but has to do with numbers. Um, but it's, it's unclear exactly where it comes from. But the way Gematria works is that every letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet has a special number value. And so if every letter has a value, then words or phrases have number values as well. And as we'll see, there's a couple different ways to calculate this Gematria. The most common way to use Gematria is to give each letter of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet um, specific number values. Here you can see um, on this paper, it's probably backwards, um, it is backwards, um, I apologize for that, I will post a link later. You can see how each letter has a um, number value, and so um, the, if you can read this backwards, um, the Aleph is 1, Bet is 2, Gimel 3, Dalet 4, going all the way down to Tet, which is 9, afterwards moving on to Yud, um, Yud is then 10, and then we move to the 10s, Chaf is 20, Lamed 30, moving all the way down to Tzadik being 90, Kuf being 100, and then we move to the 200s, Reish is 200, Shin 300, and Taf 400. Now you'll notice um, for um, the Gematria system, letters with hard and soft sounds like Bet and Vet, or Kaf and Chaf are considered a single letter. So Bet and Vet will both be 2, Kaf and Chaf will both be 20. Final letters, we know that there are five final letters, which the letters change shape at the end when we place them at the end of the word. Um, the final Chaf, the final Mem, the final Nun, the final Pei, and the final Tzadik. And um, so those generally have the same number as their regular letters, although sometimes we actually will give them further numbers. So if the last number of the Hebrew alphabet, Taf, is 400, then the final Chaf is 500, final Mem 600, final Nun 700, final Pei 800, and final Tzadik is 900. So in that way, every letter in the Torah is a number, um, and uh, every word in the Torah can also have a number value. A classic example of this, the Talmud tells us, um, that we know there are 613 commandments in the Torah. That is our tradition, our oral tradition. It doesn't say so explicitly in the Torah, though, that the number of commandments is 613. Um, however, it is alluded to from the Gematria. At the very end of the Torah, in the last chapter of the Torah, there's a verse that reads, Torah tzivalanu Moshe, Morashaki lat Yaakov, the Torah that Moses commanded us, is an inheritance for the congregation of Jacob. So our sages say that the Hebrew word Torah, the Torah that Moshe commanded us, um, is made up of four letters. We have the Taf, which is 400. We have the Vav, which is six. The Resh, which is 200. And the He, which is five. 400, six, 205. 
together make 611. And what that means is that Moses commanded us 611 commandments. Now, how do we get to 613? So uh, we know that the 10 commandments were told to us directly by God. However, when we look more carefully at the Ten Commandments, we notice that the first two commandments, Anochi Hashem Elokech, I am Hashem your God, and Lo Yiyelecha Elokim Achirim Apanai, do not have any other gods um, in front of me, are said in first person. God says, Anochi, I am the Lord your God. Do not have any gods in front of me. God is the one speaking. When we move to the third commandment, though, Lo Tisa Echem Hashem Elokech Elashav, do not bear the name or utter the name of your God in vain. There it says, Hashem Elokecha Hashem, your God, in third person. Speaking, God is not saying it, somebody else is saying it. So our sages say, based on that, that the first two commandments we heard directly from God, at that point, as described in Devarim and Deuteronomy in the portion of Hanan, we were not able to handle the great revelation, and we turned to Moses and we said, Moses, we can't handle it. You hear the rest from God and you say it to us. So the other eight commandments we actually heard directly from Moses. So of 613 commandments, two commandments we heard directly from God are said in first person. God speaks of himself as an I. And the other commandments are all said in third person. In other words, Moses saying, do not say God's name in vain. Um, instead of saying, do not say my name in vain, it's Moses saying it. So we heard 611 commandments from Moses. The other two came from God. Torah that Moses commanded us, Torah is 600 and, um, Torah is 611. So that's just an example of using, and this, we'll, I'll give a few more examples shortly. That's just an example of how we would use um, gematria, the value of words, actually teach us something. Now, when we write in Hebrew, we also write using letters. So if you want to write the number one, you would write the letter Aleph. If you would want to write the number 10, you would write Yud. If you would want to write the number 11, you would write Yud Aleph. And so, for example, today is the, the Hebrew date for today is the 19th of the month of Adar. So if we wanted to write the 19th of Adar, we would write Yud Tet, which would be 10 and 9. That's how we would write it in Hebrew. Or to use something more sophisticated, um, the Hebrew year now is 5780. So if we want to, read, to write 5780, now once we get to 1,000, um, the Hebrew numbers, as we see, only go up to 400. Um, we can double the big numbers to make it go up to 900. But once we hit 1,000, we go back to 1. So what, then, we do, then we make a little mark to mark that it's a different series, or it's, a, it's the thousands. So if we wanted to write 5,780, the way we would write it is, hey, would be 5,000. 700 would be Taf Shin, which would be 400 and 300, and then 80 would be Pei. So this year, 5780 in Hebrew would be Hei Taf Shin Pei. Um, so the letters, um, and in that way, letters, um, numbers have meaning. Uh, numbers can be written in letters, but those numbers also have meaning based on the letters that we write. For example, and perhaps the um, best known example is the number 18 in Hebrew. The way you would write 18 in Hebrew would be Yud, which is 10, and Chet, which is 8. Together would make 
Yud Chet would be 18. Now, if we switch those letters around, Chet Yud, which is also has a number value of 18, Chet being 8, Yud being 10, that would make Chai, which means life. So the number 18 therefore becomes a special number because it's a number for life. And that is why traditionally when Jews give charity, we always give charity in uh, denominations of 18. So 1836, 180, 1800, we always give by numbers of uh, 18. So we have extensive examples of gematria in scripture where the Torah teaches us things and doesn't say it explicitly, as we said, the Torah is written in code, but shares it to us through a gematria. Perhaps the best example of this is the time that we spent, our ancestors spent as slaves in Egypt. So while the Torah itself writes that we were in Egypt for 400 years, we know um, based on our historical record and from elsewhere in the Torah and in scripture that we were not in Egypt actually for 400 years, but the 400 years, um, exactly what the 400 years means is a subject of a different class. Um, but our earliest Jewish history book, Seder Olam, um, makes it clear that in our Jewish traditions, the exile in Egypt lasted for 210 years. Now, where, though, does the Torah say that we were in exile for 210 years? So, the, uh, so our sages noted that when Jacob first instructed his children to go down to Egypt... Uh, when they originally were going to go to get food for the family from Joseph, who they didn't, hadn't yet met, didn't yet know with Joseph, he uses a very unusual word to say, go down to Egypt. Instead of saying lechu, which would be the regular word to say, go, he uses the term redu. Redu is a very r- rare word. It means go down. Why do he use the word redu? So our sages say, well, Jacob, perhaps unknowing at the time, or at least in the Torah's account of Jacob's speech, the Torah puts this in, so that we should know it today, Redu has a number value of 210. The Resh is 200, Dalit is 4, and Vav is 6, together 210. Jacob was alluding to the fact that we will be in Egypt for 210 years. Another example is, the Torah tells us that Abraham fought with the men of his house against four great kings uh, who had captured his nephew Lot and miraculously was victorious against them. It says that there were 318 men in his house um, that he fought with. Our sages say, however, that it wasn't actually 318 men that fought with him. Rather, was Abraham together with his head of household, who we identify in the Torah as Eliezer. And now Eliezer has the number value of um, 118, Ayin is 70, Lamed is 30, Yud is 10, um, Ayin is 70, and Rish um, is 200. It has a number value of, three, of 318. So um, here we again, Abraham's, um, the member, members, uh, the Abraham fought not with 318 people, but with just Eliezer. Another example given in the Talmud is that we are told that when the manna fell down, it was dak mechuspas. It was thin, and it was mechuspas. Mechuspas is a very unusual English word, uh, Hebrew word, sorry. Uh, usually mechuspas um, is translated sometimes to mean covered, but it has no clear translation um, in Hebrew. It's not a 
it's not a normal Hebrew word, our sages say that the word mechuspas has a number value of 248. Now, according to Jewish tradition, there are 248 limbs in a body. Um, exactly how we get to that number is a discussion of its own for another time. Um, but what it meant is that the mana was able to energize all 248 limbs. Some food is good for some parts of your body, but not good for others. Mana was good for everything. We also sometimes have gematria number values where um, it's not the word that is coming to tell us something with its number value, but sometimes every letter in the world is coming to tell us something. The, um, the Talmud tells us that the beginning of Psalm 5 in the book of Psalms, in the book of Tehillim, it says, Lam al hanchilot, um, a, a, to the choir master on the nechilot. Nechilot um, is usually translated on the springs or streams, uh, but it's not a usual term that we would use regarding poetry or regarding um, choirs or songs. Uh, but the Talmud says the word hanachilot actually comes to allude to um, the hanachilot is spelled with a hey. The hey is five, the, which refers to the five books of the Torah. The next letter is a nun, which is 50, um, which refers to the 50 days that we waited to receive the Torah after we left Egypt. The chet, um, the next letter is a chet, which is eight, refers to the eight days at which we um, make our covenant with God with circumcision when a child is eight days old. The next letter, a yud, um, is ten. It refers to the Ten Commandments. And then the next letter, um, lamed, is thirty, refers to the thirty righteous people that are always in the world to keep the world, to keep the world in existence. So there are, in addition to the gematria we just showed you, there are also other types of gematria. There are other types of number values as well. One Another one that is used often is called Mispar Katan. Mispar Katan is very similar to the system that we have here, where Aleph is 1, Bet is 2, Gimel is 3, going all the way down. Hopefully you can read this backwards. Um, and then, uh, but then when we get to Yud, instead of moving into the tens, we remain back with the singles. So Yud becomes 11, Chaf becomes 12, Lamed becomes 30, Mem becomes... Four, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, Yud becomes... One, Chaf becomes two, Lam becomes three, Mem becomes four, Nun becomes five, going all the way to Tzadik, which is nine, and then Kuf is once again one, and Resh two, Shin three, and Taf four. And so in that way, every, every word can be seen as having a Mispar Katan, a um, small number, it's called, or the numbers that only use singles. Every letter is all a single. An example of this is, our sages say, The seal of God is emet, truth. Truth can be found everywhere. Now, emet is spelled aleph, mem, taf. Aleph is one. Mem is 40 in the regular gematria, but in mispar katan would be four, and taf would be four as well in mispar katan. So one, four, and four together equal nine. Now, our sages say that the seal of God is emet, is truth. Truth, or the number nine, can be found in everything. And so our sages have explained that if you take any number that is two or more digits, you can reach nine. And you can try doing this yourselves. Um, choose a number, any number of digits. Add up the number. So let's say if we take 
a number, just take a random number, 65. And now we add up 6 and 5. 6 and 5 equals 11. If we do 65 minus 11, we get 54. Then if we add up 5 and 4, we will equal 9. And if you take any number that is more than two, two or more digits, and you add up the numbers, and then minus that result from the original number, and then add up the result, <coughs> you will then always get back to 9. God's sign is, emet is true. Now, in addition to the gematria, the number values of each letter, there are also other forms of code in the Torah that are used extensively. Um, the, while the number-related codes are called gematria, um, the other kind of code that's often used is chilofei otiyot. Chilofei otiyot is perhaps similar to codes that um, we recognize where one number is exchanged for another number. So we exchange numbers for numbers, uh, sorry, one letter. One letter is exchanged for a, another letter. The classic is the example that we used earlier from Daniel. When Daniel read the um, writing on the wall, that he read it to mean mine mine takal o parsin, he actually, um, he actually, the original was not mine mine takal o parsin, but was yatas yatas adach pugmach. Essentially, what happened is if we take the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet that we have over here, backwards for those that are reading online, um, and ignore the numbers for now, what we do is we switch Aleph with the Taf, and the Bet with the Shin, and the Gimel with the Resh, and the Dalad with the Kuf, and the He with the Tzadik, and each letter gets switched until we get to the Lamad switches with the Men. So, um, sorry, until we get to the Chaf switches with the Lamad. Those are the two middle letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So, um, so every letter of the alphabet switches with another starting from end to end. So originally it had the word yatas. The yud switches with a mem, so it's really a mem. The tet, which was the next letter, switches with a nun. And the, um, the samach switches with a he. Sorry, the, um, the, the taf switches with a aleph. So ya. Tas is really me, mem, nun, aleph, mene, which, mean, which meant in Aramaic count. And so in that way, using the atbash system, he was able to, Daniel was able to decipher the words of the, um, the words on, that were on the wall. Um, now, atbash is used extensively in scripture. Um, Jeremiah, for example, refers to Babylon sometimes, the um, kingdom of Babylon, as Sheshach. Sheshach, well, Babylon in Hebrew is Babel, Bet, Bet, and Lamed. Now, Bet would exchange in Adbash, exchange Bet, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, changes with Shin, the second last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So two Bets would be Shin, Shin. The Lamed, as we said, changes with the Chaf. So Babel, Babylon, would be Sheshach. So you use the term Sheshach to refer to Babylon. In a number of places, um, Jeremiah uses terms that only make sense using the Atbash system. Now, sometimes we use 
both atbash and gematria. We could use both together. The classic example of this is the ketorah, the incense. Last week we spoke, we spoke in our class extensively about the ketorah, about the incense. Um, and we spoke about its great power. And we spoke about how ketorah incense was used by, um, by Aaron to overcome plague. We mentioned that it was later used in the Zohar mentions, um, using it in, uh, later in history, just reading the Ketorah to overcome plague. And should, I guess now is the time to mention, and we already mentioned it last week, that um, many of our sages have written over the years in a time of plague. Um, the greatest spiritual power we can invoke is the reading of the Ketorah. Um, maybe I could put a post to it afterwards um, on Facebook if anyone would like access to it. One should read the Ketorah um, three times a day or regularly, uh, and it helps us uh, against plague. It also, our sages say, brings to great success. Um, now, the Hebrew word Ketorah, and that's because of the great power of the incense in the temple, which we can invoke from actually reading it. Now, the Hebrew word Ketorah, our sages say, actually references the 613 commandments. Now, Ketorah, if we use our page, which you're all seeing backwards, um, is spelled Kuf, Tet, Resh, and Taf. Kuf, Tet, Resh, and Taf. However, our sages point out as follows. If we take the Kuf and we use Atbash, it's the fourth last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so we switch it for the fourth letter, which is a Dalet. A Dalet has a number value of four. The second letter is a Tet, has a number value of nine, that's 13. The Resh has a um, number value of 200, so that's 213, and the Taf has a value of 400, that's 613. So if we switch the first letter of the Kuf using the Adbash from a Kuf to a Dalad, then the word has a number value of 13, which is um, which represents our 613 commandments and the power of our relationship with God. Another code that and Jews have, well, there are other codes also mentioned in the Torah. Another code that's used also um, is uh, what's called mezuzah letters. Now, you may have noticed on the back of a mezuzah, if you have a clear mezuzah case, you'll see on the back of the mezuzah at the top is the letters Shin Dalad Yud, which is God's name, which means Almighty. We don't pronounce it. Um, however, the, on the bottom, there's a number of strange letters. Um, there's three words on the bottom of your mezuzah on the back that say, Kuzu b'muchzaz kuzu, which doesn't have any Hebrew meaning whatsoever. What it actually is, is it is two of God's names, the Yudke Vavke, which we're not allowed to pronounce, as well as the name Elohim, which again, I'm mispronouncing, and the name, the Yudke Vavke again, which we don't pronounce. Um, it, each one of those words is written, but not the word themselves. What we do is we take the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, for example, we take God's name, which is Yud and He and Vav and He. We take the Yud, instead of the Yud, we put a Kaf. Instead of a, instead of a He, we put a Vav. Instead of the Vav, we put a Zion. And instead of the um, final He, we put a Vav. Again, spelling Kaf, Vav, Zion, Vav. And that way we write God's name on the back. That's called mezuzah letters. Uh, so that's another common code that we find used um, in Torah and Jewish sources. And there are a number of others. I'm not going to get into the details now. Um, just to, I'm just trying to give you a general um, 
sense of it. Of course, we Jews have always been great at code. Um, we've needed to use code because throughout our history, um, we had many people who um, persecuted us. And um, in order to keep communication in difficult times, um, we often communicated with code. Sometimes we use Atbash code. Sometimes we use Mezuzah code. Um, sometimes we used other codes. Um, this codes where the Aleph switches for a Lamed. In other words, um, the Aleph becomes a Lamed, the Bet becomes a Mem, the Gimel becomes a Nun, um, and so forth. Um, and so we use many different codes and sometimes more complex codes in order to communicate with each other. Um, of course, Jews have always taken a um, lead since then in um, today. Um, code making and code breaking is already a whole industry, um, especially with digital security. And Jews, it's, it's a business that Jews have always taken a lead in, but um, we've always had code as we see from our very beginning. Now, gematria, as we said, was used extensively by Jewish scholars. Many Jewish scholars use gematria. But it's important to remember that gematria is not random. Some of it sounds like you can make up any word is equal to anything, um, especially if you can start switching things around. Um, one of the Jewish scholars that used gematria very, somewhat extensively was the Ramban, Ramosha ben Nachman. Um, he used it pretty extensively in his um, commentary on the Torah. Uh, perhaps the most extensive use of gematria was Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher, known often as the Baal HaTurim, for his book, The Arba Turim. He wrote a great work on halach, on Jewish law, a classic, The Four Columns, Arba Turim. And so he became known as the Baal HaTurim, the author of the columns. And so, uh, but Rabbi Yaakov ben Asher wrote a commentary on the Torah, which is mostly built on gematria. But it's very, the Ramban notes, Ramosha ben Nachman, that, and he lived in the um, 1300s, that gematria is not random. And you can't just make up your own gematria. Gematria was a way that God placed words in, or meaning behind the words of the Torah. God placed code in the Torah. But if you try to decipher a code, not the way the original writer intended it, it's of no value. So you can try to scramble a code, but if the way you scrambled it is incorrect, it has no meaning to it whatsoever. So just taking words in the Torah and trying to find number values to them and similar words that have similar number values um, to them is of no meaning whatsoever and of no use. Because if it wasn't intended by the original writer, there's no point to it. It has no value to it. Um, the same gematria was used extensively um, by, uh, in the Tanakh throughout scripture, as well as by our sages and throughout history. But again, only if the gematria was intended by the one who created these words or wrote those words, then it's of value. Gematria that was unintended is not really of any value. So therefore the Ramban says it's important that the gematria is not random. The gematria has to be something that fits into the explanation of those words. In other words, if the gematria fits into our known explanation for those words, or something that otherwise makes sense to explain those words, then the gematria is relevant. But a gematria that is just has no connection to the words whatsoever isn't relevant at all. Now, gematria can also, by extension, and so it's important that gematria code not just be used ad hoc or at will. Um, today, there's people who are into numbers, like to create all sorts of gematrias. You could go online, Google gematria, and there'll be tons of different strange gematrias that will come up. It's important to remember that if they were not intended by their original 
author who wrote the original words, um, there isn't necessarily any meaning to it. Uh, and not every gematri is meaningful. Um, it's only meaningful if God intended it. Now, it's important to note also that every um, thing in life also can have gematri. In other words, Hebrew words in general can have meaning based on their gematria. Um, and that's because we put so much value on words. Our tradition tells us that our world was created with words. Um, the Torah, when God first created, it says, God spoke and the world came into being. If you open the beginning of the book of Genesis, you see God said, let there be light and there was light. God said, let there be vegetation and there was vegetation. God spoke. God spoke those words, the words in creation. Essentially, the way we, be we believe that the words of God were essentially the code, if you will, that stand at the basis of our world. The best way we can understand that today um, is the similar to our computer screens. If you look at your computers, you see a lot's going on. You're watching a video. Um, you, you see you fill out forms. You um, play games. All those things are really just pixels on your screen. What's really happening is behind all those pixels is code. And there's multiple layers of code. There's the C++ or Java or whatever your HTML or whatever your screen is written by. Um, if you go on any browser and you right click on your mouse, uh, one of the options will be view source. So you can actually see the source and then suddenly, instead of seeing the screen um, the way you see it now, you will see the source code, which is essentially a bunch of letters and numbers, um, which will be based on whatever script you're using in your, um, uh, in your browser. So, but those codes are then built on other codes, ultimately on the BIOS system, um, which itself is ultimately built on the um, plus and minuses of your, um, or the zeros and ones um, of your electrical circuit of your computer. So it's all built on a very basic code. So our belief is that the creation itself is all built on code. God created everything and continues to create everything based on code. What you see around you is like your screen. It's not really a screen. It's not really what you see. It is really code behind everything. It is godly code. And those codes are words and letters, spiritual words and letters. And that is and multiple layers of code as well. And those spiritual words and letters are holding everything together. So the words, the letters, the numbers are not just random or something interesting, but it actually has real meaning and real life meaning because everything in our reality is built on words and numbers. It's important to remember also, as we said, that the Torah itself has code and we can use gematria to help us decipher the Torah. But that also points to the, um, the fact that every word in the Torah is exact. We believe that the Torah was dictated to God by Moses, to Moses by God, sorry, um, dictated to Moses. And every word, every letter in the Torah is exact. A Torah missing one letter is not kosher. So every word must be perfect. Every letter must be perfect. Every word and letter has meaning. And it's important to remember that every detail in life has meaning. Um, and just to finish off, perhaps the great lesson that we learn from, perhaps the great lesson that we can learn from what's going on in our world now um, that we're all essentially we've all employed social distancing uh, we've changed our lives around um, hopefully for not too long uh, all due to a very very small virus now this virus that is causing havoc 
is really just a tiny, tiny virus um, that can barely be seen in a microscope. And yet, as tiny as it is, that is making such a powerful impact on our lives as well. So it's important to remember that every small detail in Torah, but not just in Torah, every detail in creation is all God's work. And it's all God's code. And God's code stands behind everything. And everything has powerful meaning. And so it's important to remember that every detail in our lives, everything happening around us has meaning. So rather than being overwhelmed, being scared, being afraid, it's important to find meaning in everything. Everything has purpose. And wherever I am now, whatever is causing me to do something now, even if it's very minor, even if it's very small, find meaning in it. Find some sort of purpose. Find something meaningful. So thank you for joining me on this um, live Facebook Live for our class today. Um, I will, I do plan to be giving regular class on Facebook Live um, and invite you all to join me. My plan as of now, things of course can change, everything's in flux, um, is to give a daily class on different subjects I'll be posting um, every day at 9.30 a.m. So I invite you all to join me. Um, I know many of you, many of you are home. Um, and. Um, in uh, social distancing. So it's really a time to study. Please join me um, in studying. And uh, I will be here every day. We'll do a class on a different subject. Tomorrow, I will give my regular Monday morning class at 9.30 a.m., um, which where we just began the book of, we study Tanakh scripture, and we just began the book of Psalms. So I'm going to start the book of Psalms again, and I encourage you all to join me at 9.30 a.m. Um, to study Psalms with me. I will post a link for those that want an online um, access to the Book of Psalms to be able to follow along. Um, thanks again for joining and I uh, hope everyone stays safe.